Welcome to the Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! I've heard so many players say, well, I want to be happy. You want to be happy for a day? Eat a steak. It's that woo woo! And now, Dan and Ty. Welcome back to the Solid Verbal Boys and Girls. My name is Ty Hildebrand, joining the still from the far side of the USA, my man Dan Rubenstein, sunny Southern California. He has informed me that it is summery out there in Southern California right now. It is very cold still here on the East Coast, Daniel. How you doing? I'm good. I didn't want to rub that in because I know throughout the Midwest and the East Coast, weather has not been terrific as people are inside their homes for the most part. So, I yes, facts only. It, it does happen to be warmer and sunnier here on the West Coast, but it generally is. As I mean, that's my understanding. So... I don't want to, you know, make you feel bad, but it's pretty great. It's okay. It's okay. So welcome, one and all. Thank you so much for stopping on by. Hope everyone is doing well and washing their hands and staying Mm -hmm. as healthy as can be, not developing any kind of ominous cough or temperature. Thank you again for subscribing if you're out there or maybe you're finding us for the first time. Lord knows you can subscribe to the show anywhere you get a podcast. You can find The Solid Verbal. We are going to continue to record all throughout the offseason for however long that might be. Eventually, we're going to play a season, Dan. And when that time Mm -hmm. comes, we will be overjoyed. We will continue in our normal cadence talking about college football. But until then, we, like the rest of you out there, are just trying to find ways to fill the time. What we've been doing is rewatching old games. Yes. And then providing our, our takes, our thoughts on on the broadcast, on those games, we decided that we were going to take a week off from doing that specifically. And you put out a call on social media, Daniel, for lingering college football takes, right? This is correct. And if you can play the 8-bit version of the Cranberries hit song Linger underneath my explanation for this. You are a world champion at finding 8-bit versions of nearly every <laughs> pop song. I... It's a good way around, I think, getting into any sort of obvious trouble with publishing companies. So I will just say, as we were doing these recaps, these rewatches with 2020 eyes of these older big games, be it from 2003, 2007, 2010, people would say, oh, I still feel this about the whatever 2002 Ohio State defense or you should do the 2007 Florida whatever game because I still feel this about Will Hill or Tim Tebow or anything like that. And so we wanted to make this more interactive. We wanted to go to the people and hear what their lingering takes are about random games, players, decisions, situations, rankings, whatever. So we could go back sort of in a micro way and look at how people feel about specific things and look at that with 2020 eyes and figure out how many E's are on the end of our agree or disagree as we evaluate people's lingering takes. Because yes, as the cranberries ask, did you have to? Did you have to? Did you have to let it linger, Ty? And the answer is yes, always. The answer is yes, always. So we're going to jump into that momentarily. We've got a lot of really good ones that I'm excited to discuss here. Don't forget to follow us on social media. If you haven't done that, we've been putting out some cool content. We've been doing nightly trivia games on our Twitter feed. If you are listening to this now, presumably before the 5 p.m. hour on Thursday, 
I think this yeah. will be out before then. Yeah, well, you can go back and rewatch the replays of those as well, though. As well, you can rewatch the replays. I just squared off against Nicole Auerbach, our good friend from the Athletic and the Big Ten Network. Mm-hmm. I won't spoil the fun on who won that contest, but it was a lot of fun to see Nicole. And we're yeah. gonna have one on Thursday between you and Chip Patterson. We've started booking guests a little bit farther out in the future as well. So we're excited to keep doing that, provide some content for the folks out there who are just sitting around at home looking for something to do. Also, if you are in that mode, it is the NFL draft this weekend. So you're going to have something to watch. At some point, we will talk about the draft and how everything shook out. We've learned that a lot of the draft Knicks don't like talking as much about it beforehand because then they have to predict. And in the right. podcast world, predictions go stale very quickly. So at some point here in the next few weeks, we'll have on a draft Nick to talk about yeah. the draft and how things shook out. We promise that we'll provide that content. But if you do want to talk things draft related, go on out to solidverbal.reddit.com. Peter Hoffman, the, the fearless leader of our subreddit, is going to have our friend Yogi Roth on to talk oh, about the best. all sorts of draft topics and college football topics. So that yes. AMA is taking place on Thursday. Again, if you listen to it, you may still have some time to hop on over, ask a question. Yeah. Do we want to let something linger? Let's let something linger, Dan. You get to go first. Pick one out. All right. Because this sort of crosses into two items, I'll start with this because I, I think it goes chronologically well. Matt who is joined by a couple of people, Iowa fans, on Twitter says, Iowa beats any team in the nation, wow, if their bowl game was following their last regular season game instead of a month off in 2002. Wow. So, so this, this is, is this is Brad Banks, right? This is Brad Banks. This okay. is Robert Gallery. This is Dallas Clark. This is a, a pretty talented team that made its way pretty well through the Big Ten. They didn't square off against Ohio State, who goes on to win the national championship, but they take down Michigan. They take down Penn State, you know, powers in their own right at this time. They lose to Iowa State early on in the season, but they go into the Orange Bowl with a lot of rest. They play against USC, and they score their first touchdown offensively with like 30 seconds left in the game. <laughs> yeah, right. So, man, it feels like a stretch to me, but Ty, if you have if you have any devil's advocate here, um I'm going to add a couple of things. But I, what was your initial reaction when you saw this because Matt and a couple of other Iowa fans say that they there were bad penalties, special teams errors and turnovers that were uncharacteristic of the 2002 Hawkeyes. First off, that was Kirk Ferentz's fourth year as Iowa head football coach, which feels like almost an entirely different century. Almost was a different century. (laughs) Almost was. It is notable that they didn't play Ohio State during the regular season. And it's notable, not just while talking about this, but also in terms of this show, because we talked about that 2003 Fiesta Bowl game between Ohio State Mm -hmm. and Miami. Ohio State won the national championship. We rewatched, we recapped it a few weeks ago. Um, I'm curious to see what would have happened had they played Ohio State in that game. I think this was a good enough Iowa team to knock off the eventual national champion Buckeyes. This was an offense that had 37 points per game. They only allowed 19.7, 19.7 
19.7 per game. So it's a good defense. Um, What I'm struck by here is, is Matt's kind of saying two things. He's arguing that the layoff hurt Iowa against USC in the orange bowl, which it definitely did. That's undeniable. Uh, A lot of uncharacteristic things happened to Iowa in this football game. And then he's also saying that they could beat any team in the country. This is the best team by the end of the regular season. This this was a solid. This was an underrated Iowa team with a ton of NFL talent on it for sure. Mm -hmm. But there are some really good teams in front of Iowa in the final standings. Most notably the Miami Hurricanes, who I think we both still feel very badly about in that Fiesta Bowl game. Like this is the better team. Yeah. Between Miami and Ohio State. They just they didn't win. They turned the ball over five times. So I here's what I'll say, Matt. Iowa was good enough to beat Ohio State if they played. And Ohio State, yes, eventually Maybe. won. Eventually eventually won the national championship. I think they were good enough to beat them especially with some of the close games that Ohio State found themselves in in that 2002 season. Totally. I am not comfortable saying they're better than Miami. Well, they're not anywhere near as good as USC, and we know that. And we know that. Here's, here, is, here is something that hurts them a little bit. So they lose to Iowa State something like 36-31. to 31. Combined in the third quarter against Iowa State and USC, Iowa lost 37 nothing, Zero points scored in the third quarters against Iowa State and USC. If you watch that game, Iowa at times did not look like they belonged on the same field as USC. Arguably the best team in the nation by bowl season with how they looked with Carson Palmer and Justin Fargus, Kareem Kelly, Troy Polamalu on the other side of the field. Wow. They ran over them. They ran through them. They ran past them. Iowa did not look like a top five team, let alone the best team in the nation. That was a really good team. The thing that hurts them as well with the same coordinators and same head coach, Iowa had no problem with long layoffs winning the Orange Bowl like five years later right, right. <laughs> against uh, against Georgia Tech, Ricky Stanzi, love it or leave it. And that same year, school, I think Michigan comfortably won or scored a lot of points and won their own bowl game, I think, against Florida. So Big Ten teams with that long extended time off before bowl season weren't all hurt Iowa just played a team who looked a lot better prepared to win. And, you know, everything was even. They play on the same field. They're staying in hotels in the same city. USC was better prepared, more talented, deeper, and ready to win a big game on a national stage. Iowa wasn't there. Great season. Iowa was uh, not great (laughs) in South Beach. No. And for what it's worth, that was the best offense of the Kirk Ferentz era Maybe in the history of Iowa football, I haven't done the full, you know, it was strong, the full investigation here, but uh, a handful of times since then, Iowa has averaged over 30 points per game. I know points per game isn't the best measure, but if in 2020 you tell Iowa fans you're going to score 37 points a game, they would take that in a heartbeat. This is a very good Iowa team. Find you a college football podcast that leads off with the 2002 Iowa Hawkeyes and denigrating their really impressive accomplishments. Um, I'm going to go so disagree with three E's out of a potential five E's. Yeah, I'll I'll go with this lingering take. I'll go five E's, Stan. I dis I strongly wow, solid. disagree. Five out of five disagree. Yeah, I strongly disagree here, but I I do get where he's coming from, and uh, you said denigrating what Iowa did. I don't denigrate. At, at oh, all I know what Iowa did. Iowa was a incredible team that year, 
And the Brad Banks era was probably criminally underrated. He had such a good campaign that year. Um, only five interceptions. By the way. Yeah. Took it to, took it to Penn State and your guy, Zach Mills. They went up 23 nothing or 26 nothing. Oh, yeah. And had to hold on in overtime <laughs> to win that game. Yeah. So, fun season. Good team, just not quite as good as Matt says, but nonetheless, no. uh, uh, a really good team. You want to stick with USC-related things with Marty and 2003? Oh, sure. This is this is a fun one. So Marty writes in, and he says that USC doesn't deserve a share of the 2003 national title with BCS champion LSU. So this was the year, Dan, that the BCS kind of sort of exploded, right? Yeah. LSU... Correct won the BCS championship, but they were not the consensus national champions. USC, they finished the year third in the BCS standings, but they were able to get three coaches to cross over and they were voted as number one in the AP poll. The Associated Press awarded USC their national championship. So therefore, the 03 season ended with split national champions, which is entirely what the BCS was set up to try and prevent. Because of the split national championship, significant changes followed in the 2004-05 season as it relates to the BCS formula. But this was a big-time point of contention, I would imagine, among LSU fans, which is why we got this question. Yeah, I still... When I was going around the country 2007, 2008, and any time I would say I was from L.A. or I was a Pac, then Pac-10 fan, they would bring up how much they hated USC and Pete Carroll. There was definite bad blood there. So, interestingly, if you go back and look, so USC loses in triple overtime on the road to Cal, something like 34 to 31. Oklahoma loses 35 to 7 in the Big 12 championship game against Kansas State. They are just worked over by the cats and it was a formality to lose by 28 was a formality because margin of victory was not in the formula in 2003 and i went back and looked this up if it were a pre-2003 year usc finishes the season number one in the bcs if it's a post-2003 usc finishes number one in the bcs but in 2003 with margin of victory removed and strength of schedule weighted like it was it ended up with LSU, Oklahoma. And so I agree with his take, but he got there in the, on a road that says, well, USC was given preferential treatment. I know they got, what, I think three coaches poll votes from Mike Bellotti and a couple other guys. And uh, they won the AP National Championship. They awarded the AP National Championship. I don't think USC should have a share. They win the Rose Bowl. They comfortably beat Michigan. But if the BCS exists to end all arguments, and if USC is okay with being a part of the BCS and is okay with the Pac-10 being a part of the BCS, I'm not I'm not down with LSU having to share it. As boring as that national championship was, as predictable as Oklahoma losing on a huge stage now in retrospect was, it, that's, that should be an LSU championship year. That's the first sentence about the top of the sport in 2003. Wasn't a great LSU team. That was a Nick Saban team. 
And part of his argument is that USC was given preferential treatment because they're this blue blood on the West Coast in a big city. And, you know, it takes away from LSU, who doesn't have glory for four decades or something like that. And it was pre-SEC dominance. It's not like the Pac-10 and USC were doing anything big. You know, USC wins the Orange Bowl over Iowa the year before. But this is a sport dominated by, what, Ohio State and the state of Florida for a considerable amount of time. The Big Ten, Florida State, Florida, and Nebraska. So it's not like everybody was saying Pac-10 year after year, just killing everybody. LSU deserves it. Weird road he took. Yeah. So I agree with two E's, just the simple two E's. I, I hear what he's saying. And truly, I, I, I think I can relate to the, the logic there. It feels like right. your team was robbed. It feels like your team was robbed, that they weren't given their fair due. Um, sure. We're going to talk about a, I would say, similar enough situation in a little bit here. Another one of these that came in that did happen to my team. And yes. So I, I I get what he's saying. I I kind of agree with your approach to this, though. And that is, USC wanted to be part of it. Everyone kind of agreed that this was going to be the new system within college football, love it or hate it. Some people still want to go back to the BCS. Maybe not this era of the BCS, but some people still feel like it was the better road to picking a national champion. Um, I am not one of those people, but... I agree with your logic. If you are part of the system and the system chooses someone else and you have to have to go with it. I will still insist my lingering take is USC would beat LSU by 10, that USC team, and USC deserved to be, you know, if you measure their loss, a triple overtime road loss against a, a neutral site, you know, just shellacking at the hands of a very good Kansas State team. And it's not like the 2003 Cal team. This was a partial Aaron Rodgers team. This was, I think, Bill C. had his estimated S&P Plus rating of, I think they were 20th in the nation. So yeah. it's a much better one-loss team in terms of uh, strength of resume. So... I can say both of those things out of, you know, each side of my mouth, but I, I'm still saying LSU, they're the national champion. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, three E's, we agree. Three agree. Okay, I said two, you're going three. I like I'll it. go three, yeah. All right, where do you want to go next? Well, you alluded to something McCook has as a lingering take, and oh, that is man. Notre Dame deserved, so we're sticking with the theme of split national titles, I suppose. Notre Dame deserved the 1993 when Dan was 10 years old title. Okay. Yeah. How much of the history did you dive into here? I watched Notre Dame Florida State. Apparently, okay. it's one of the best five college football games ever, allegedly. Allegedly. Um, so I went back and watched a condensed version of that game, and I read all about it. Okay. I did not watch Notre Dame-Boston College. I did not watch Florida State-Nebraska. This was a very different generation of football. And when you go back and watch, it's apparent that things were a lot different back then. This was a Lou Holtz team that had an improbable run, to, to be honest. This was during the Ron Palace era, but mm -hmm. Palace broke his collarbone in the preseason, which meant Kevin McDougal was going to assume the starting role. And it was just an amazing run. He goes on the road, his second career start. He knocks off number three, Michigan. He rips off nine straight wins before getting to number two in the polls before a monster game at home, Notre Dame Stadium, against number one, Florida State. 
and eventual Heisman winner, Charlie Ward. <sighs> Can we talk about Charlie Ward for a second? I fell in love all over again with Charlie Ward because I love those Florida State teams, the 90s Florida State teams, all over again. What he would was, Charlie Ward have done in a modern spread zone read, taking the quarterback on the run, putting him more in the shotgun style offense? Yeah, if Charlie Ward played for you know, Urban Meyer era Florida or Ohio State or Ryan DeHara, Ohio State or Lincoln Riley at, at Oklahoma or I guess Chip Kelly at Oregon he would have flattened everybody. He would have been Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield in one. He was incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible on the college football level. Had a long, prosperous career in the NBA. It was a first-round draft pick in yeah, the NBA, right? Yeah, the Knicks. Yep. Had a long career for the Knicks. Closed out his career, I think, with the Rockets. I want to say okay. it was a, was a long-time NFL or NBA talent. Could have played in the NFL, I suppose. But um, Charlie Ward was the quarterback. That was a... Ahead of his time prototype, yes. Ahead of his time prototype. Kez McCorvey and Tamaric Vanover, I want to say. His top <laughs> yeah. two receivers, if you remember those incredible names from Florida State. Um, this is a game where they brought in portable lights because at the time, Notre Dame Stadium did not have lights. <laughs> and so it was a big deal. Game of the century, one of the games of the century back in the 90s. People were on the sideline. Like humans were two feet from the sideline, spillover. Like nobody was held back from anything. If a receiver no. caught a ball careening out of bounds, he was taking out a larynx tie. Exactly. Fa fast forward through the game. Notre Dame outplayed Florida State the whole game. The whole way through, okay. they led wire to wire. They end up winning 31-24. Sean Wooden, formerly defensive back for Notre Dame, who actually hurt his knee in this game. He knocks away the final pass as time expires. Notre Dame moves up to number one, and Florida State drops to two, because it was a close game. Seems fair. And they all lived happily ever after in South Bend. No, because <laughs> Notre Dame falls victim to the old letdown look ahead. The very mm. next weekend, final game of the year, Boston College, at the time, number 17, comes into town. This was not like current era Boston College. This was a good Boston College team. This was Glenn Foley, Mike Mamula. Remember those names? Oh, remember those sure. guys? Of course. This is a good team. They go into yeah. South Bend. They stun Notre Dame 41-39 on a, on a game-winning 41-yard field goal by David Gordon. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Okay. So what happens next is Notre Dame drops to five, four or five. I don't know. Florida State moves back up ahead of three unbeaten teams, Nebraska, Auburn, and West Virginia. Now, this is Terry Bowden, Auburn. Auburn that year, I think, was on probation. I forget exactly mm -hmm. why, but they couldn't play I a bowl shocked. game. They couldn't play I a bowl game. <laughs> they weren't playing on TV. Yeah. This is a, you know, different era. They, they still claim that they won the title that year. They didn't win the title. They couldn't play for it. Right. Florida State ends up beating Nebraska in a bowl game, 18-16 on a missed field goal. West Virginia gets smoked in the Sugar Bowl, and Notre Dame knocks off an R.C. Slocum-led Texas A&M team. They had the number one defense in the country in the Cotton Bowl. I liked, by the way, all of the old attempts to find a national championship 
national champion that ended in split national champions. You have the Bull Federation, a Bull Alliance. They were running out of official names quickly, Ty. So what happens? Florida State wins. They had lost to Notre Dame. Notre Dame wins impressively over Texas Mm A&M. Everyone on the Notre Dame side is waking up thinking they're at least going to be a split national champion. Alas, they are not a split national champion. Florida State is granted the unanimous national championship. And I got to be honest with you. I understand the argument against Notre Dame. I understand they lost the week after that Florida State Mm -hmm. victory. Mm -hmm. And I think if the game against Florida State would have taken a bit of a different track, I would have agreed or could have found it within myself to agree with Florida State as the unanimous national champion. The problem is that when they played on the field, Notre Dame outplayed Florida State. They outplayed them. Well, they, they, they played at Notre Dame. I, the, the argument for Florida State would have been a lot stronger if they comfortably beat Nebraska. If they left no doubt that, okay, this is the way the polls shook out and they face this Nebraska team who has earned their way here right. and Florida exactly. State wins 28-10, to 10, then it's more difficult. But if you squeak by and Notre Dame's comfortably winning and this is an era of split national championships, and I also did, by the way, like when you go back and read everything, I'm not going to say it's the birth of, it's probably far from that, but it was a lot of narrative, narrative, narrative about Bobby Bowden finally getting a national championship and people feeling bad. And that's ultimately why they were the the standalone champs. Yeah, I I just, I I go back, I also rewatched large chunks of that 93 game and Notre Dame was better. They were better on that day. I don't know what happens if they play 10 times. They beat him with a backup quarterback. On that day, they were very good. They were the better team on the field. They beat him with a backup quarterback. They beat nearly everybody with a backup quarterback. Um, I like their running back, by the way. Lee Lee Becton. What was his? Yeah. Lee Becton. He was good. He ran with purpose. I liked him. Number four. Very, very good. Um, Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly agree with this one. And if I could give it sixes, I would. At a minimum. (laughs) At a minimum. They should have been a co-champ. The fact that they were not a co-champion was a huge, huge misstep by the voters. So I'm with you. I agree wholeheartedly. Notre Dame should have at least had a share. You get three E's agree from me. Um, Let's go more modern. Chris wants to know, or Chris's lingering take, thanks Cranberries, if Colt McCoy doesn't get hurt, Texas beats Bama in 2009. Oh, man. So that's early January 2010, the national championship game, which Colt McCoy gets hurt very early on. Garrett Gilbert does his very best, but also throws, I think the number is four interceptions, finishes 15 of 40. Texas does close it to a three-point game with a couple minutes left, 24-21. But a Garrett Gilbert-led Longhorn offense just can't do enough against a very good Alabama defense in Nick Saban's third season as head coach for the Tide and Alabama wins their first national championship under Nick Saban. Do you do you remember watching this game? Absolutely, 100%. I remember feeling horrible for Colt McCoy because, you know, say what you want about Colt McCoy if you are a Texas fan or not a Texas fan, but he was a likable, a likable sure. personality in yeah. college football. Just very unassuming, obviously had the numbers and the talent to back it up and, you know, I mean, the NFL is a different universe. We don't got to go there with it. But 
Um, Colt McCoy on the college level was so, so good and so, so likable. And to see him in a huge game like this kind of million games. Yeah. Won a million games to see him sort of go off the field with a mysterious injury. It didn't look like it was all that serious in the moment, right? Like he took a shot, but right. It did. It didn't running sort of an option gets hit hard. Yeah. It wasn't like his knee bent backwards or or something strange happened. He just, he took a shot. It was very nondescript. And to see him there on the sidelines and have to watch that game as a college football fan with him not in there, um, even if you were an Alabama fan at the time, like you had, you had to have some feelings about that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, nobody wants to win, and of course, those games as a, a neutral observer, when a quarterback gets hurt really early on, and the backup is either somebody who's just not on the level, or in Garrett Gilbert's case, both that and a true freshman thrust into this enormous situation. That game goes from lasting three hours to eleven. Yeah, it just you're just feeling bad from the whole time. It's tough. I I think we may disagree on this one. Yeah, just a standard two E disagree between us. But yeah, continue. I think I think we may disagree. Um, so you're right. Garrett Gilbert comes in after Colt McCoy's arm. He he says in one of the interviews. I think during the game or after the game or shortly thereafter the game. Uh, his arm just went dead. It was dumb. Mm-hmm. Garrett Gilbert comes in. He goes 15 of 40. He throws four picks. Clearly the backup, not better than the starter in this case. Fair to say? Yes? Yes, I would agree. Two weeks. People forget how Four dynamic <laughs> that Colt McCoy-Jordan Shipley connection was. Jordan mm-hmm. Shipley caught 116 balls that year. 116 balls. Now, it was a Texas offense that centered around the passing game. Well, even further, it was a Texas offense that centered around Colt McCoy to Jordan Shipley. Which is why you have those numbers, right? For sure. Right. Yeah. But the fact that they were that good was was really something. The numbers were incredible. They had some playmakers on defense. Earl Thomas had eight picks that year. Blake yeah. Gideon had six picks. So... It was a good Texas team. Sergio Kindle. I remember we talked about him at length. I remember Mm -hmm. when he was recruited, like the whole thing. It was a good Texas team. Here's the thing, though. Texas beat three ranked teams all year, and they squeaked by two of them. Meanwhile, literal last second in the Big 12 championship game against Nebraska. Meanwhile, Bama beat three top 10 teams, five ranked teams in total, Jeff Sagarin said that Bama had the toughest schedule in the country. And that Bama team was freaking loaded to the gills. Mm-hmm. I mean, every position loaded to the gills. Greg McElroy, Mark Ingram. Whoa, whoa. I'm Heisman. already going to disagree with five E's. He was <laughs> a good quarterback. If you're talking in about loaded, your voice is going up, Ty. It's a tell. He if was a good quarterback loaded. in college. He was, he was a good quarterback. Ty. Very good we're quarterback. Talking poor man's Ken Dorsey. Mark Ingram won the Heisman. Trent Richard, great. Trent Richardson. I'm getting flustered here. Sure. That's why I messed his name up. Whom yeah. we once argued could kill a horse by running full yes. speed at it. Julio mm-hmm. Jones, Rolando McClain, Marcel Darius, Mark Barron, Terrence yeah, Cody, Mount Cody, yeah. Javier Arenas, Dante High, Young Dante Hightower. This is yeah, a loaded rotation. team. Yeah. So I understand where you're coming from. I understand where Chris is coming from, who sent this in to us. There was a point in this game 
where despite all of Garrett Gilbert's shortcomings, they did narrow the lead to what, 24-21? Yeah, with a couple minutes left and the ball. But we don't need to talk about what happened immediately in that moment, but yeah. This was a Bama team that went up early after the injury. They were in cruise control, Dan, and they let Texas back into it. I contend if they cared the whole way through, if they played hard the whole way through, if they weren't just trying to run clock, they win comfortably. This is a better team. Remember, that Texas offense, when they went up against some legit defenses, had to squeak out wins. Their offense was shut down. Not a lot, but enough. Okay. Against this particular Alabama defense, if they are forced to play the whole way through, um, I like their chances at shutting down that that McCoy to Shipley connection, and I still think they win. They didn't do a great job of shutting down the Gilbert to McCoy connection. Because they didn't have Jordan to. Shipley, Jordan on Shipley had two control, long touchdowns. Man. No, no, hold on. They tried to. They didn't let him run free. He they burnt were on DBs. I think he control. burnt Javier Arenas twice. Come on. So listen, the reason I'm going to say agree with 1E, so perhaps I'm saying I agree. <laughs> That's how tepid my agreement to Chris's take is because Garrett Gilbert threw what looked to be a perfect touchdown pass to Malcolm Williams that was dropped. Colt McCoy perhaps throws as good a pass, but it was probably going to be dropped again. So perhaps Texas is not converting obvious choices, obvious opportunities but 24-21 with a quarterback who is not completing anywhere near 50% of his passes, who is playing scared, who clearly Greg Davis, the offensive coordinator, is not trusting to go downfield consistently against Alabama. Colt McCoy, even average Colt McCoy, who took a step back without Quan Cosby at receiver in 2009. They were a better team in 08 offensively. Even all of that said, I think Colt McCoy finds a way to turn the ball over less, and you say Alabama's on cruise control. The number of three and outs in the second half, they're not trying to play clock at the start of the third quarter. They're trying to win a national championship decisively. We know this about Nick Saban. He's not crazy conservative, even though he was more so in 2009. I am positive. If Texas were to have more dudes, simply more dudes on offense... It was like there was kind of a dude depression for this Texas offense outside of, I guess, Colt McCoy and Jordan Shipley. You look at the running back and the rest of the receivers and tight ends, not on the level they were in 2005. I think Colt McCoy, average Colt McCoy, is light years beyond what Garrett Gilbert looked like as a deer in the headlights headlights against Alabama. So I'm going to say I agree. I don't know, man. I I I still... Greg McElroy was not good in this game, Ty. <laughs> okay, whatever. He was full on not good. Whatever. He didn't need to be. He didn't need to well, be. Well, he fulfilled that obligation of not needing to be good. He didn't need to be. This was a Bama team, a defense that was on cruise control. They ripped off, what, 24 unanswered or consecutive points, whatever it was. Sure. In the second quarter, they were on cruise control. They felt they had the game in hand. Texas kept throwing, not all that successfully, but enough to inch their way back into it. Um, and then, as you said, we don't have to talk about what happened after the game got to 24-21. I think sure. Bama won, what, 37-21? Yeah, they've, I think it's a, a, the scoop and score right away. It's Marcel Darius, yeah. 
I still I I contend Bama would have won anyway. So I I disagree Let, with three E's. Can we both agree with five E's to the next one? I'm almost positive we will. Okay. James Franklin, former Missouri quarterback, not Penn casual State, dress. Coach, does casual dress? James Franklin does not get the credit he deserves. And MRCX8D, I hope this is somebody's <laughs> password, a user on Reddit, goes through all of his impressive stats. He also said he played great in the 2013 SEC Championship game with 303 yards passing. Two really good receivers for Mizzou on that team. Three passing touchdowns, 62 yards, and a rushing touchdown. Not his fault. The Missouri defense couldn't figure out how to stop Auburn's offense. I believe that's a Nick Marshall, Trey Mason, National Championship birth all offense. Right. I agree, Fivey. I, he was just a complete joy to watch and gave us and gave you one of your very favorite nicknames in solid verbal lore. Casual dress James Franklin. So James Franklin, my lasting memory of him was when he would drop back in the pocket or when he would take a snap, whenever he got the ball, right. he he, mm-hmm. he was almost behaving as if the play had been blown dead. Mm-hmm. Very casual back there in the pocket. Very casual. Not a, Not a care in the world. Mm-mm. Put up numbers. Always looked like he was unprepared for the play. That's the David Yost quarterback tutelage. That's yeah. the thing. Unbelievable. All right. So I think we agree. He was great. That, for sure. He was very, Five very E's. good. Loved watching those Mizzou teams. Next item. Next item um, here. Um, yeah. A&M could have won the national title Ooh. in the 2012 season if they had beaten Florida in the first game. Mm-hmm. The Reddit user WR Reveille says yeah. also that team may have had one of the greatest college offensive lines of all time. That was a Jake Matthews anchored offensive line, I believe. Yeah. Very yeah. good offensive Absolutely. line. Absolutely. Yeah. A couple so, of first round picks at least. This was the Manzel Evans connection. Mm-hmm. This is the team that beat Alabama 29 to 24. I want to say. What do you know about Ryan Swope, Ty? Ryan Swope had an illustrious career at the college level. Yep. Really good college receiver. Um, Manziel had himself an unbelievable season. Neutral site, according to Bill Connolly's S&P Plus at the time, says that A&M would have been about an eight-point dog if they had played Alabama again. That's according to the final S&P Plus standings. Um, I think that number would have come down because people would have loved to have bet on Johnny Manziel in that game, right? Like, it wouldn't have been more than six and a half by kick. That sounds right. How do you feel about this? I mean, this is Johnny Manziel as a redshirt freshman, and by the end of the season... Yeah, you can talk me into it. The defense was inconsistent, and they, I think they just murdered Oklahoma, which I don't know how much you can look into at this point. Murdering Oklahoma is just sort of a thing really good teams should do by the end of the year. But I understand the case, and I would have loved to have seen it. So I'm going to say I disagree, but only with the single two E's. Um, not, Not enthusiastically, but you lose two. It's tough. I, I disagree with with four E's. Wow. Yeah, I don't I don't think they could have won the national title if they Good had defense. Been. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just I'm not feeling this one. What I am feeling though is what it was like to live through that season. Oh now so cool. I say that I say that as a Notre Dame fan and um 
if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know that we went down to Miami. We couldn't get tickets to get into the game. We were unwilling to pay $900 for the last row of the stadium. We watched yep. from our hotel room and I fell asleep before halftime. All That's true. the kind of game it was. And my team was mm-hmm. playing in its first title game in years. So that's what we had as the culmination for the season. You could make a really good case that this Texas A&M team was the best singular story of the 2012 season. That Manziel campaign, the way he burst yeah. onto the scene, we were calling a man zeal for the first four weeks of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was singularly in my mind the best story that year. In the way that 2007 had all these remarkably wild things, 2012 I guess had Lene Kakua, but 2012 was just a remarkable season in terms of just cool things happening. Yeah, and one of those absolutely. had to have been Johnny Manziel. Yeah, Johnny Manziel. I mean. What whatever came of his future, be damned. That he was as a college football story, as cool and excitable and as just entertaining as you're yeah, ever going to find in the sport. Yeah, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, I, a national championship to me is a bridge too far. But as for favorite story, maybe outside my own team going to the national championship game, it absolutely was A and M. That 2012 team, I I will forever remember that year. Just a great, great team, a great, great story. Yeah, that was also Alabama winning last second against Georgia in the SEC championship game. Aaron Murray, that was, you have TC Oklahoma close late. There was all sorts of fun stuff, especially later on in that season. Weirdly, Oregon State is a top 15 team. <laughs> There's all sorts of wonderful things happening. Let's go quickly to Nicholas, who fired off two, I think, pretty great lingering takes, Ty. Okay. He says the worst team, the worst team, excuse me, both that night and throughout the course of the season, won the title game for both the 2015 and 2016 seasons. So he is saying Alabama and Clemson should have flip-flopped one, winning their national champions, national championships. <laughs> okay. And I I think I disagree with four or five E's. I appreciate yes. the, the stones it takes in the first attempt to beat Alabama Clemson let O.J. Howard run basically untouched two or three times. They give up the the onside kick that is now just canon in college football. That is, it's just an incredible moment. Uh, Deshaun Watson, as incredibly as he is, he throws a very bad interception. They also allow a like a hundred yard kick return for a touchdown. You know, I love talking about moments and winning the moments. Ty, I am, I am the moment minister. I will preach. And Clemson thoroughly lost the moments. As fun as they were, as amazing as Deshaun Watson will always be in the minds of college football fans, they were not the better team. Better teams win moments. And as vulnerable as that offense may have been at times, even with Derrick Henry, this was a Jake Coker year. Yeah. This was a this was a Clemson team that national champions win moments. And they get you can maybe give up two or three. You can't give up five like that to Alabama. Right. No, I, I agree with you. I'm with you on that one. Finals of the second season, um, Alabama was not the better team against Clemson that day. Jalen Hurts could not throw the ball downfield as exciting and as dynamic as he was that year. It was more about Bo Scarborough, still OJ Howard, just a, a pretty incredible defense the year before and that year. Jalen Hurts, without a quarterback who can challenge a really good defense downfield, I can't emphatically say you deserve to win a national championship. Clemson wins it. Pick play be damned. I'm with you. I think I'm second with you. take. 
Second take, and I was up at 5 a.m. to rewatch this game to make sure my take was correct. 2014 Mississippi State. So if you remember, this is Ole Miss and Mississippi State as top, top teams for a stretch in 2014. Would have made the playoff over Ohio State if they didn't lose the Egg Bowl, and I think they would have won it all. This gets another four E disagrees. From this guy. <laughs> what, what say you? Wow. Who was on? I remember this is Josh Robinson. That yeah, I think there's State only team? one Fred at this point. I think it's just Fred Ross, so not the full Fred education. Right. Um, this is Darunya Wilson. This is obviously Dak Prescott. Dak. Clear, if you watch this game, you're, you're watching and you think, ah, this is an NFL quarterback without NFL surrounding talent. Ah, that sucks. Wow. That, that is a fiery take right there. Good, um, good Mississippi State defense. Ole Miss without Bo Wallace fully healthy. He has a sprained ankle. They get almost 200 yards receiving from Evan Ingram. Jalen Walton reverses field for a long play. They so clearly win the the explosive play battle in this game that it's hard for me to see them. And it's a weird playoff year, Ty. So if they get in over Ohio State, they're playing 2014 Bama, uh, who was the one seed, I believe, right? And then Florida State was 2-3. Yeah, Bama lost 42-35 to to Ohio State. Yeah, I I don't believe... You are getting Josh Robinson through the heart of the Bama defense in the way Zeke Elliott did. No. So I, no. I I can see the vulnerability of Florida State and how they looked against Oregon. I can see the vulnerability of Oregon with how they looked against Ohio State. But even still, we're talking about a defending national champion in Florida State and the Heisman Trophy winner in Marcus Mariota with Oregon. So I I'm not there. I can't fully get there. If if Dak has a little bit more around him in terms of dudes we can have a conversation. He just didn't. I think I'm with you. Um, I remember that team pretty well. And um, mm-hmm. Dak Prescott was good. He was good in college. Really good. Right. I don't remember the consistency being there across the board. I don't remember feeling in the moment that this team was on that same tier. They were really good. And that's they were the thing. Really good. I'm I'm attaching four E's to disagreeing, but I am agreeing that they were a, an incredibly fun watch and a, a cool story. And he's there forever starting. But ugh, that's a bridge too far for me, Ty. Yeah. I think I think that's uh that's a little much for me too, Dan. So so they lose to I Bama agree. by five, November fifteenth. Mississippi State does in Tuscaloosa. But they didn't score a touchdown against Ole Miss until the third quarter. I want to say it's they just, were it, they were number one. I think when they played Alabama, they were. Yeah, yeah, I think they were number one in the initial playoff rankings. They were so good, and even I mean the Ole Miss defense was incredible. This is this is the height of Land Shark. You have Miss Mississippi on the field giving yeah. a Land Shark sign. It's an absolutely loaded Ole Miss defense, and they end up losing a shootout. Mississippi State does to Georgia Tech. So they had a chance to make a statement in the Orange Bowl, I want to say, and they didn't. So I, I'm going to disagree with Fouries. That's all. They jumped that year, interestingly enough, at the end of September from 12th in the polls all the way up to third. <sighs> and then a week later, they were number one for four or five straight weeks before they lost. And yeah. they dropped down to four and then 10 and then 
you know, eventually ended up, I think, at just outside the top 10. So it was a very good they team. They beat three top 10 teams. They beat LSU, yeah. A&M, and Auburn. A, a very, very good team. Um, I am sort of talking without having done super deep investigation, maybe the way you did, but I right. remember how I felt at the time watching this team because we were doing we were doing the show. And yeah. um, I, I remember in the moment not feeling like they were on that same tier. Obviously, a very good team. Very, very good team. They got to number one. So I, I'm still um, willing to have a conversation that Mississippi State that year could have beaten Oregon or Florida State because of those, you know, it's a Don Pelham Oregon defense. Oh, and no. we saw the way that oh, Florida no. State folded when things got pretty hectic in the Rose Bowl. So I that's a conversation I'm willing to have. But even still, to do that in a rivalry game, to do that when you do have a chance on a huge stage in your bowl game, I'm not there. That's all. Yeah, the other the other caveat here is um, saying that a second SEC team would have made the playoff is a separate conversation. Yeah. It's a separate conversation. Yeah, so this is what? This is three years after LSU-Bama in the national championship as a rematch? Three years after the rematch and in the really early stages of the playoff. Still kind of in that very tender stage where people are, are learning to live with it. And... Um, and- and the playoff exists to sort of not let that happen again. Exactly. <laughs> a rematch exactly. in the national championship or on the national big postseason stage. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my uninformed or perhaps uninformed opinions on Mississippi State totally aside, mm-hmm. that was kind of the the context of the moment. Yeah. And having two SEC teams in the in the playoff, I I think would have been a, a media firestorm. They wanted to avoid that. And um, I just can't imagine that would have happened. Can't imagine that would have happened because of the overtones of, of the time, 2014 And they season, went into so. that, but they did go into that game number four. So if you go into a, the, your rivalry game at number four and you don't have to win your conference, which the playoff eventually said was cool with Alabama to get right. into the playoff, if they comfortably beat Ole Miss in Oxford... As the number four team, I think Ole Miss was 16 or 17 in the country at the time. The argument against Mississippi State as a top four team nationally is very difficult, Ty. Yeah. And I understand the two teams from the same conference getting in, but Klanga had an opportunity to make people's logical lives very difficult with a comfortable win that day. They just couldn't. All right. All right. I disagree with the premise, but um, yeah. it's a Get very interesting... Very interesting question. Thank you, Nick. I loved going back and watching that game. It was fun. Yeah. Um, do we have anything else before we let the No, I think I'm go? good. How's okay. how's life? Everything good on your end? Life is good. Life is very good. I hope that okay. the same is true for you out there in sunny Southern California. I hope it's true for everyone listening at home. These are very weird times. Hopefully, yeah. you're still downloading the podcast and listening to our college football spiel here on a weekly basis. We've been mm-hmm. doing the nightly video stuff, which has been a ton of fun, even if no one watches. I don't know. I've loved it. watching. It's going up, Ty. It. It's good. It's good. It's been a ton of fun. Um, we've got big stuff planned over the next couple weeks and months, totally separate from the fact that there may or may not be a college football season. We don't know. We're not. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to assume that it's going to happen until we're told otherwise, but it is not going to stop us down. No. So, with that being said, we would encourage everyone to tell your friends to listen to the show, 
please do write in solidverbal at gmail.com or go on out to our mm-hmm. website at solidverbal.com. Listen to our old stuff. Find us on social media. If maybe you're just happening upon us for the first time, you can find any, you know, so many different channels to see what we're all about. And again, participate in the conversation with other verbalers long after the bell of each and every episode at solidverbal.reddit.com. I think that's everything, Ty. You've done a fantastic show today with your evaluation of lingering takes. What's your hair situation right now? You okay? I got to cut both combination of me with clippers and the solid wife, which, sorry, that's your wife, <laughs> right? Uh, with Jody with an eye. Uh, so it's all right. It's getting a little hot. So I'm going to try to keep it, you know, trimmed up maybe once a month, no matter how long we're in here. Um, yeah, the hair isn't bad. I was a little bit worried about just overall health and eating poorly because there's a lot more food available when I'm with a lot of family. So that has been my focus and just sort of doing everything right for for digestion, for metabolism, Ty. I think I've got that all under control finally. If you're interested in my tips and tricks, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, it involves cold brew. It involves okay. a lot of cold brew. But no, everything's good, Ty. Hygienically, we're in a good spot here. Yeah, I, uh, I'm letting it grow, man. I'm going to see. I don't know how long this is going to last. Yeah. Um, I saw some angry people on the news citing their lack of a haircut as the reason that we need to open things back up. I, I, yeah. I don't know if I'd go to that extreme. Um, I'm You're starting learning. to look a little bit like Tig Notaro. Do you know who that is? I do know. Kid, yeah, I do know. Tig Notaro. Yeah, the comedian. Yeah. yeah. I do. A little bit. I like it. I actually did see that screenshot when Solid Wife and I were clicking around on Netflix the other night. And sadly, I thought the same thing. So right. for what it's worth, you're not wrong, but yes. yeah, it's, um, it's, I'm just going to let it grow, man. I'm going to let the hair breathe. going to let the mane yep. out and, uh, we'll just, we'll see where this is when this whole thing ends. You listening to any good podcasts when you're out there no. walking Vera? No, no, no. <sighs> well, I am Ty shout out to goat, the greatest of all talk, Andrew Sharp and Ben Golliver. They do a great job. Cool. Yeah, all right. Well, all- send us, send me your podcast suggestions. Preferably non-college football, because that's what we do here. Yeah. Don't need to talk more college football or listen to more at the, at the moment. But send me your recommendations on Twitter. Yeah, please do. Let us know what you think, okay? That's it. That's all I have. For that guy over there, my good friend, Dan Rubenstein, in sunny Southern California, for myself, Ty Hildenbrand, over here in Eastern Pennsylvania, letting it all grow out, Dan. <laughs> Hope everyone is staying safe, staying healthy, not developing any kind of ominous cough, and taking care of yourself. Yeah. Enjoy the time while you got it. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. In the meantime, by all means, enjoy the rest of your week, all of your weekend, and stay solid. Peace. Peace.